good morning, Mountain Lake Church. My name's Nathan, I'm one of the pastors here. I'm so glad to see you all here today. Last week, it was like Narnia in Dawsonville. So this week is just a, just a light shower. No reason to be afraid, but uh, you made it here, and we're so glad you did. A couple of things just to put on your radar. For those of you who are from the Dahlonega area, we have a night of worship coming up at UNG next Sunday night at 5 o'clock. Would love to see some of you there to see what God is up to in the Dahlonega community. And then this week, we are continuing our series, Hunting Good, because, man, let's just face it, you get on social media, you get on the news, it's a lot of doom and gloom. So we as Christ followers, we've got joy in our hearts, so we should not let it just stay in our hearts. It should find its way to our mouths as well. So stop by our Hunting Good booth after service, and those things that you just think, the people you love, well, they know how I feel about them. Well, tell them. Like, let the things that you feel find its way to your mouth, and I think you will find that it's a very warm and encouraging place. Stop by the Hunting Good booth after service and make this the most encouraging place in Dawson County. That's a good thing for a church to be. Amen? One of the places that is fun to hunt for good is at a wedding ceremony. A lot of cool things are happening, and thanks to Pinterest, every bride-to-be is now an interior designer master. So they look amazing. There's all kinds of cool ideas, the new wedding things. Like I've been at a wedding where someone walked down the aisle to the Star Wars theme song. Not going to lie, that was pretty cool. As a pastor, I've officiated a lot of wedding ceremonies, and there's all these warm parts where it's just like, oh, that was so good. Like everybody's looking at the husband or the groom when those doors open and the bride appears for the first time. Is he going to cry? Is he going to jaw drop? Like, what's it going to be? You know, all these good moments in a wedding ceremony. And for some reason, I grew up with a stutter that went away in adulthood, but it finds its way back to my mouth when I'm officiating a wedding. And I can't figure out for the life of me why it happens. Maybe there's a lot of pressure. Like, you guys, this is the third sermon I've given today. There's no, like, second and third services after wedding ceremonies, right? Hopefully, that's just that only ceremony they're ever going to have. A lot of pressure. So the very first time I ever officiated a wedding uh, was with a lifelong friend who grew up with me from fourth grade on and was always, like, imitating my stutter. And it wasn't, like, mean. It was actually pretty funny. But I guess he came ready. We got to the part of the ceremony where he was repeating the vows after me to his spouse. I, Jared. I, Jared. Take you, Megan. And he went, take you, Megan. He nailed it. It was great. It was a good moment. And ever since then, it's happened. A few years ago, I was doing another one where I made it through the whole ceremony. And in the back of my mind, I'm like, yes, you did it. And it was classic, like, premature celebration. So... I get to the point, kiss the bride, you know, they do that, and then I'm announcing Mr. and Mrs., like their name was Brian and Rhonda. For a normal person, those two names don't sound alike. should be pretty easy to get those words out. I pronounce Mr. and Mrs. Bronda. <laughs> like, <laughs> I brangelinated them. Like, that's a celebrity nickname. We'll see if it sticks to this day, but... It just happens. You know, there's all kinds of fun traditions and stuff. One of the most endearing wedding ceremony traditions is to read from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the love definition. And whether you're in secular or sacred circles, most people from theologians to philosophers to psychologists think that this paragraph we have in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the best definition and explanation of what true love is that's ever been written. 
And so what we're going to do today as we're hunting for good, I want us to think about those people that we love, those that we call family. Whether it's blood relation or not, just think about the people that you love and those who love you in return. And I want you to think about the moments where those people become somewhat unlovable. (laughs) Once you kind of move beyond that honeymoon phase, whether it's with your kids or whether it's with your siblings or your parents or your coworkers, just the people that you love and love you in return, when real life happens and people do what people do and they disappoint you and they frustrate you, how are we supposed to respond? Like, Like, what do you do when the people who matter the most are the most frustrating. It can be quite a perplexing predicament to find yourself in where you're trying to conjure up like a Christ-like love, but they're just being difficult. That's inevitable. But our response to that is something that we can control. And hopefully, as Christ followers, our response to conflict, our response to disappointment, our response to rejection, to betrayal, to all the things that can make somebody that you love become unlovable, our response should be a Christ-like response. It's easier said than done. But if we base our definition not off how we feel, but who God is and what He's done, then we can find a godly way to respond in those friction, painful moments that every relationship will face. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to see what God's Word has to say. Jesus, I would ask that over these next few minutes, Lord, as we all maybe are replaying difficult moments in recent history, maybe a fight that happened on the way to church, Lord, I pray that we find the right way to apply your kind of love to these people in our lives, that we'd be able to see them the way that you see them, and we'd be able to respond in a Christ-like, God-honoring way. So guide us through the scriptures today, Lord. Speak to us. We'll be listening. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. I'm only two verses in, and I've already thought of some things this week with my toddlers where I missed the whole irritable and resentful thing. Like, I got to repent, you know, like, already challenging me. Verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Let me just give you a little bit of a, of a context as to where we find ourselves in this 13th chapter of the book of Corinthians. Paul was writing this letter to kind of do some course correction to the leaders of this church in Corinth. There's a lot of immoral things that were happening, and there was a lot of just divisions inside of the church. And so he's speaking to these things. Then he gets to a point in chapter 12 where he talks about this concept of spiritual gifts and how every new believer is endowed upon conversion to Christianity, like turning from sin and self, making Jesus the Lord of our life, we get spiritual gifts that are meant to help the body of Christ. And he just talks about like your role matters and you have a part to play. And then in chapter 13, he says, but if you don't play that part in a loving manner, then you're missing the point. So chapter 13 is not just about like a brotherly love. Like if it was about this kind of camaraderie, brotherly type love, there was a Greek word they would have used here in these verses. It's not about this this, this romantic love that's shared between a husband and wife. There's a Greek word that he could have used for that. 
No, but the word that he used for the type of love that's supposed to be happening inside the church between Christ followers, those who love each other, who are doing life together, it's the word that they used to describe the way God loves us, and that Greek word was agape. And it basically means like this fond preferential treatment. In other words, if you're a firstborn, the way you think that your parents treat your younger siblings, right? Like, come on, mom, you're too soft on him. Like, whenever I was that age, I had to be at home by 10. You're letting him stay out till midnight. What's the deal here? A preferential treatment that the people just don't deserve. We don't deserve agape love. Let's just go ahead and own it. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, when we were enemies, like, by nature, we are objects of God's wrath. I'm raising a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and no one has taught my five-year-old how to fib, but he's naturally good at it, right? Like, it's in our nature to rebel against God. But even in our state of rebellion and sinfulness, he chose to give us preferential treatment. And the Bible says that the kindness of God is what leads us to repentance. So this fond love. This preferred treatment kind of love is what we're looking at in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's what we talk about at weddings. This is the way we are called to love one another. A love that doesn't make sense because it's a love that honestly none of us really deserve. But we choose to love each other despite those flaws. It starts off by saying... Love is patient and kind. It doesn't envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. Like the way I look at it, this first verse here, it's kind of explaining what love is supposed to be when you're experiencing it from someone who claims that they love you. These are the, these are the things that you can expect. This is how you should be treated. It's okay to want to be loved that way. It's okay that you want people to be kind to you. Because you're an image-bearing human being. Like God saw you as worthy to give everything. So it's okay to have expectations and not just take abuse. But it goes on to not just put the expectation on people who claim to love you. But it also puts a pretty high expectation on you who claim to love other people. When it goes on to say that it doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It, it rejoices in the truth. Have you ever been jealous of someone who gets a promotion that you thought you deserved and you did all the hard work but they're taking all the credit for it? You know, the, the Bible tells us that we're supposed to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and mourn with those who are mourning. It means that if we're truly going to be a loving Christ-like person, we will set aside our preferences and celebrate people in, in their moment of honor regardless of how we feel about it. We're going to be people who, who choose to believe the best. That's kind of what it, it boils down to. In this day and age, we are so easily offended. I mean, headlines about plastic straws and Starbucks cups have divided our nation in recent years, right? Like, we are so easily offended. And for some reason, we have this proclivity toward justice instead of mercy. And all throughout the Old Testament, the prophets were warning God's people, God delights in mercy over justice. Isn't it strange how we want mercy for ourselves? but justice for everybody else. Why are we so easily offended? Why are we always looking for a reason to be hurt by something that someone does or says? Why do we make stingy, worst case scenario, cynical kind of assumptions about what people really meant? 
Like, I mean, I'm, think about some of these things that sound a little bit passive aggressive, but maybe a backhanded comment. They may not mean anything by it, but you've probably all heard somebody say, bless your heart before. And we all know that's kind of like the Southerners version of saying with all due respect before they say something totally disrespectful. Like, what do you really mean by this? Like, here's, here's one of my favorite ones. I'm, I'm kind of an extrovert and love to tell stories and be a little goofy from time to time. And I've, you've probably heard people say, I just love how you don't care what people think. I'm like, is that a compliment? Like, are you saying that I'm a sociopath or just really immature? Like, I'm not sure what you really mean here, right? Like, we've probably had somebody text us a picture. Like, they're cleaning out their closet and trying to figure out what they're going to give to a, a nonprofit. And they're offering you some clothes. And they're like, it's too big for me. I thought you may like it. What are you saying? Like, do I need to lose weight? Have I, like, what's the deal here? It's almost like we're looking to get offended. What, what if we flipped the switch and did what this verse says, where it says love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things? To me, the challenge is simple. We've got to learn to make generous assumptions about the people that are in our lives. Let's stop jumping to the worst-case scenario. Let's start assuming the best and believing the best. I think that's some of the, 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 the trickiest parts of, of truly loving somebody is being in control of what you, like you're in control of your own emotions. You're in control of your own heart. And sometimes the way that we guard our heart is to give somebody the benefit of the doubt and think maybe they're being hurtful because they're hurting themselves, right? Like maybe they had a bad day. And, 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 and maybe this isn't like the best thing if this is like the way your relationship works, but maybe they just feel safe to come home and just let, thing, let it all out and, and, and let you know how bad of the day was. And they may not be exactly saying it that way. They may do what feels like they're taking it out on you. But if love believes all things and hopes all things and endures all things, then we have enough grace to get through those moments without being easily so I want, I want to look at verse 7 in particular and just kind of take it word by word and see what it means to live a life where love can bear all things with those that we're doing life with, where love can believe the best about them, where love can hope all things and ultimately endure all things. I, I think there's a bit of a progression there that Paul wants us to walk through. And when we think about the, the most recent fights that we've gotten in or the most recent comments we got on Facebook that, that we really felt they used the wrong emojis on or whatever it was that ruffled your feathers, put it through this filter of, of generous assumptions. Put it through this filter of saying, am I believing the best about this person or am I assuming the worst? Because as we're going to see in a few minutes, Jesus, through a preferential treatment sacrificial kind of love has some high hopes for what could happen in our lives when we allow his love to soften our hearts and, and maybe crack open the door for reconciliation. I, I don't know about you, but I, I want that kind of love in my home. I want that kind of love to be radiating in my, in my family, in my friendships, and in my church. So let's start with verse 7. Love bears all things. There's a, another translation that says love covers or love protects. And I, you know, I started thinking about, you know, a, a, a mother bird covering the chicks with her wings, just protecting them from harm. But then I started thinking about this idea of, of love covering and love protecting, and really it brought me all the way back 
in my studies to Genesis with the flood story and something significant that happened with Noah. Noah and his three sons and their wives and his wife were the family that God spared through the flood to kind of reset a new moral trajectory for humanity. And after the flood dissipated and they were getting back to business as usual and kind of recreating a new humanity, Noah planted a vineyard. And Noah did what people often do with vineyards where he enjoyed too much of the fruit of that vineyard. And we have the story where Noah in a drunken stupor passes out naked in his tent. And one of his three sons thinks that this is hilarious. He's actually the first frat brother in scripture. <laughs> he calls his other two brothers. He's like, dudes, you got to see this. Dad is naked on the floor. The other two brothers won't have any. They won't have it. They approach the tent with their backs toward it because they, they wanted to cover their father's shame, not exploit his shame. And they both carried a blanket on either corner and laid it over their dad's naked body so they wouldn't be rejoicing at his failure. They were covering. They were not protecting him from an external threat, but sometimes you got to protect people from the threats they pose to themselves. Love covers. <laughs> love isn't a whistleblower. Love protects. Because love believes the best. That's the, the next step in the progression. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. And the original Corinthians would have heard this letter read aloud in the Greek language. And this word for belief would have had a, an accounting connotation. I'm going to reference a book called His Needs, Her Needs. It's an amazing relationship book. And it builds this idea that every relationship that matters has an account, has a love bank. And you're either in a... A surplus or a deficit based on the withdrawals or the deposits that are being made in that relationship. This idea to believe all things means that you are leading out with a coupon or a voucher or a credit to that account. How many of you have had to call your internet company and provider and say, hey, it's out again. Like I hear really bad things about the internet in Dawson County. I hear that y'all aren't very happy. So I, all I know is where I'm at, I, had, I used to have Comcast and I would every month call in and say, hey, it's dying again. What are you going to do? And they would credit our account to have a little bit of a positive balance. Maybe you've received a voucher in the mail from some company wanting your business, but they want to give you something before they ever charge you for something. That's what it means to believe the best. It means I'm taking a surplus mentality. I'm going to make the first deposit because I know some withdrawals are inevitable. We're people and we're going to mess up, but I'm going to believe the best and start with a grace voucher in this relationship. So I'd ask you, a way that you can be believing all things is how quickly you're getting offended. How quickly you're jumping to the worst case scenario. Or you allowing yourself a minute to breathe and throw water instead of gasoline on the fire. I think, man, you know, when you said that, I don't think this is what you meant but this is kind of how I felt. Now, I'm not saying your motive was to be hurtful, but maybe next time, timing, toning, maybe that could be a little bit different. That's a lot different. Of it's a lot. There's a big difference between that, assuming the best, and just immediately jumping to the worst case scenario and reacting instead of responding. That's what it means to believe the best. I'm giving them credit, even if it's credit you don't think they deserve. That's preferential treatment. That's the fondness love of Christ. But then it progresses on to love hopes all things. Belief and hope can sound pretty similar. What does it mean to hope all things? 
Well, a belief is more about their abilities. A belief is more about, hey, I think this person is fully capable of getting to a healthier place. But belief without hope basically is saying, but I don't know that they're going to put the work in to get there. Basically is saying, I think they can, but I'm not sure that they will. I've got really no expectation that their potential will ever actualize. Versus love going a step deeper, saying, not only do I believe in you, but I am fully expectant that reconciliation can happen here. I am fully expectant that our relationship can go from busted to bountiful. I'm fully expectant that we could be flourishing in this home or in this workplace or in this friendship. And just maybe the love that God is showing through you to that person is what could guide them along in that journey toward wholeness, toward healing, toward reconciliation. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. But then it continues into love endures all things. I'm not an endurance runner, so I can't really speak from physical experience. Like, let me just tell you how far away I am from like thinking about running as a means of exercise. Our household, my wife and I were, uh, were in the neighborhood and, and, and uh, she saw somebody like leave their front yard and start running down the sidewalk and she's like, what's wrong? Surely it's an emergency. Like there was no category in our mind that running is just something you do <laughs> to build your endurance. But apparently, you know, it's really good for you. But this idea of endurance means I'm willing to stick with it. It means that I'm not just going to be hopeful of progress. It means I'm going to be engaged in the process, right? It means that not only am I going to work with you on the mistakes that you've done, love bears all things, I'm going to believe that you can overcome those things, and I'm going to expect that healing is possible in our relationship. And what validates my belief and my expectation is the effort and energy that I put into this relationship. My effort and my energy that aren't dependent on yours. This word endurance is also used to describe the mentality that Jesus had to take on when he was doing the work of forgiveness on the cross. It says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. It means that we've got that belief and that hope that the joy of reconciliation and healing in my home is greater than the pain that we're currently facing. And I'm willing to engage fully that my love for them, is not going to be withheld based on their good or bad behavior. We've got to get to a point in our relationships where we realize my efforts cannot be determined by somebody else's energy or emotions. My love, my preferential treatment of you, my fondness of you is not based on what you're doing. It's solely based on who you are and, more importantly, who I know you can be. So thankful that the effort that Jesus put into a relationship with me was not dependent on my emotions or my energy or my effort. See, it's by faith through it's by grace through faith that we are saved, not by our own good deeds. There's nothing that we can do that warrants the love of Jesus. He freely gives it. And in light of being a recipient of that kind of love. Who am I to withhold love from anybody else in my life? Especially those whom I've made a covenant commitment to. 
to love them in a way that Jesus loved me. My effort, my energy, my emotions should not be dependent on somebody else's effort, energy, or emotions. That's a recipe for disaster. But when we decide, regardless of how this person behaves, I'm going to love them in a way that separates their worth from their behavior the same way that Jesus does to me. And what's funny, the Bible says the kindness of God is what leads us to repentance. I'm not saying that we just accept them the way they are. Like, I'm so grateful that I've had people that have, like, loved me the way that I am, but also loved me enough to challenge me to not stay that way. But the, but the confrontation that took place was done through the vehicle of love and grace and mercy and tenderness. I'm not saying that your relationships have to be void of conflict. Here's what I've learned raising toddlers. And maybe some of the parents in the room can, 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 can say the same. I feel like our babysitters and our preschool teachers get a much better version of my toddlers than my wife and I do. They talk about how good they are and how well behaved they are. My daughter Adelaide, she will barely get through like the letter E when we're trying to recite the alphabet together. But they talk about at the school like how good she is at it and how far she's going and how much she loves to read. And I'm like... I, you, we're talking about the same girl, right? Here's the little thing I've learned about child psychology. When they're acting out at home, it's because they feel safe enough to stop the performance. They know that they can be their raw, unfiltered self in front of their mother and their father. But I just want you to maybe think back to those pain points in your relationships. And I want you to know, just because there's friction and pain and frustration and disappointment doesn't necessarily mean that your relationships are as bad as you think they are. Matter of fact, conflict and, and acting out, it's sometimes evidence that you create a safe place. And they feel okay to be their truest struggling self in your presence. And how we respond to those moments says a lot about the way we view the grace and the mercy and the love that's been given to us. You know, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. I want you to notice something so important. In Scripture, anytime you see something that's repetitive, it means you really got to lean in because there's something more than just the surface. All things is mentioned four times in this one verse. And it's so much more than just the big picture. Matter of fact, the Greek wording for that meant like taking into consideration the big picture by observing all the pieces. It's like looking at a puzzle piece. It's not just looking at the box that's on the shelf of what this puzzle's supposed to look like. It's looking at the puzzle pieces, the ones that are missing, the ones that are misplaced. And I think what we've got to realize in our relationships with, with people that are hurting is, is that, man, the, the big picture of everyone's life, they have some missing pieces as well. And that's what it means to have some generous assumptions. Just maybe they're being hurtful because they're hurting. Maybe they're acting out because something is off. And, and maybe God wants to use your love and your grace and your belief and your hope and your endurance to help put the missing pieces back together. One of our, our, our favorite movies in our household is 
uh, the most recent Toy Story, Toy Story 4. And there's a character in particular there named Forky. We'll throw a little picture up on the screen. Forky is, is, is made of trash. And, and he wants to keep throwing himself back in the trash can when, when the humans aren't around. And, and the, the human who he belongs to is just obsessed with Forky, even though he's just a bunch of pieces of trash put together. And that right there is such a great picture of the gospel. <laughs> that, that, that while we were basically just trash, the Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags. Like the best we can do isn't going to warrant the love of Jesus. But because he sees something and what could happen in a, in a redeemed life change story, he pursues us. <laughs> so... That is the Forky that we see in the movie, and my kids wanted a, a Forky toy. Now, now, the Forky toy that they wanted looked like this, but the more they played with their Forky toy, pieces have gone missing. So our little Forky toy is missing one of his pipe cleaner arms, missing both of his popsicle <laughs> feet. But man, does my little girl Adelaide, missing pieces and all, love playing with this toy. She loves looking for the missing pieces, trying to put it back together. She knows the big picture of what Forky's supposed to look like, but she's grateful for the Forky that she's got right now. This Forky with the missing pieces may kind of symbolize where somebody's at in your life who's going through a tough time. You ever heard the saying, hurt people hurt people? When people are acting out and externalizing some toxic behaviors, it may be indicative that they're going through something themselves. And you're the only safe place they have to just be themselves, raw, unfiltered. They're no longer performing. And when you have that kind of posture where love believes all things and is aware of not just the big picture but the missing pieces along the way, we then can love them the way Christ loves us. And I think the most beautiful picture of Christ's love for us summed up in one sentence that he uttered on the cross while he was paying the price for our sins in Luke chapter 23 verse 34 Jesus said Father forgive them for they know not what they do that's the most generous assumption that anyone can make while he's literally going through the worst possible torment a person could do a torment that was meant for us, a justice that was meant for us, he made the most generous assumption. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. There's pieces that are missing. What if your love, your grace, your mercy, your protection, your belief, your hope, and your endurance is what could help put the missing pieces back together in those people that you're doing life with? who you love and who love you back. Agape love, preferential treatment, fondness. It's not dependent on anybody else's good or bad behavior. That's the calling. And if we could find the courage and the maturity to rise to that, who knows what kind of healing and reconciliation could be happening inside of your homes, your neighborhoods, your workplaces, and your friendships. Will you love the way Jesus loves you. Let's pray. Jesus, over these next few minutes as we prepare to worship, Lord, I pray that you allow the Spirit to search our hearts and our minds and identify some, some missing pieces in our lives, but also in our, in our family and our friends. 
and you would give us the strength it takes, the endurance it takes to love them through the difficult times, that we would walk out of here with a renewed commitment to love like you, to sacrifice like you, to treat people the way you've treated us. We ask these things in your name. Amen.